Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 69. Alan Gannett is a founder and CEO of TrackMaven, a marketing analytics service whose clients have included Microsoft, Marriott, Saks Fifth Avenue, Home Depot, Honda, and GE. He has been on the 30 under 30 lists for both Inc. Magazine and Forbes. He is a contributor for FastCompany.com and has a new book, The Creative Curve, on the discipline Pursuit of Creativity from Currency, a division of Penguin Random House. He was also once a very pitiful runner-up of Wheel of Fortune. Alan Gannett, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm so happy you are here. I just shared with our audience what you've done until now. And I would like you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today and where are you heading? So where I get really excited is this intersection between the left brain and the right brain, between the logical selves and our creative selves. And you know, my company, what we do is we help big brands find patterns in their marketing data so they can figure out what their audience cares for, what stories they should tell, how they should resonate with their audience. But then my book that just came out is all about, again, this intersection where you know, my argument is that creativity is something that's learnable, mm-hmm. something that's nurturable, and something you can work within a system for. So again, this idea of sort of applying systems thinking to things that seem more organic. And so for me, giving that sort of rationality to things that people struggle with, that's where I get most excited because that's where I feel like you can unlock a lot of potential, whether that's within marketing or within a person. How do you find out about the emotional part. I can understand what is the logic behind things that people are looking for. But how can you find out about the second part of our mind, the emotional part? Well, there's actually a ton of research on creativity and how it works within our, within our minds. So, you know, we have this notion in culture of creativity as this, you know, mystical, magical, divine thing. The reality is that we've been studying creativity in neuroscience for dozens of years. We've been studying creativity in psychology, sociology, anthropology for, you know, almost four decades. So we actually have a really good understanding of how creativity works. And the science behind this is everything from, um, you know, behavioral experiments to, they've done a lot of really interesting experiments where they'll put people in MRI machines and they'll have them do different tasks. And they'll see how does their brain act when it's doing a creative task versus a non-creative task. And so you can start to get a really good sense of how this stuff works in our brain. And, you know, the thing that I'd really emphasize and underline for your audience is that creativity may seem magical, but that doesn't mean it is. The reality is that we Mm. actually know that creativity is simply how our right hemisphere processes information. Our right hemisphere processes information doing this more divergent thinking where it brings together disparate ideas together to form something new. And that's not magic. It's just biology. It just happens to be subconscious. What are you trying to tell people in your book? What people are taking from the book with them? So the whole point of the book is that 
there's two, well, there's two halves of the book. The first half of the book is sort of like an overview of the mythology and science around creativity and how it's developed over time, all the way back to the ancient Greeks, because how we viewed creative people has changed over time. Like right now we're in an era where we view creative people highly, but that hasn't always been true. And so I explain how that thought in history has developed over time. And I also explain the science of how it works. And, you know, there's like all this fascinating research on how our brain actually does what it does. And it's just not very well popularized. So talk a lot about that. In the second half of the book, I interviewed about 25 living creative geniuses. Hmm. So these are everyone from billionaires like David Rubenstein, uh, Nina Jacobson, who's the legendary producer behind The Hunger Games, people versus O.J. Simpson, Alexis hmm. Ohanian, the founder of Reddit, uh, Casey Neistat from YouTube, this really eclectic set of people. And from those interviews, I come up with these four patterns I found, these four things that all of these people did to actually enhance their creativity. And I explain those, I explain the science of why they work and how you can apply them to your own work. And actually, you are implementing this exact methodology in the companies that you're working with? Well, 100%. Now, obviously, the book, the book is a lot younger than the company. So a lot of it is things that we found since then. Um, hmm. But what you find that the things that I lay on the book are actually things that really span across any industry, um, whether that's starting a startup or painting a painting. And who are your customers, both in the company and for your book? So the, the company, we primarily sell to social content and digital marketers in primarily B2C companies. And then the book is tied to uh, marketers and also aspiring creators, whether that's in arts or entrepreneurship. And so those are sort of the two big audiences of the book. In a way, you're an entrepreneur yourself, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, started my company at six years old, um, you know, 60 people. So it's a fun size, not too wow. big, not too small. And how did you start that? What made you go to this direction and to establish this kind of company? So the company came out of, I was the CMO of a startup and I was having this problem where as a marketer, I was being tasked with being more and more data driven. But even though I had you know, all this pressure on me to be data-driven, data was still inaccessible, unaffordable, and unactionable. And so the idea for TrackMaven really came to, could you be that tool for marketers where you have all your data and it's not just presented and regurgitated, but you can actually take action on it. You can see things like, you know, what pieces of content are actually driving sales? What pieces of social media are actually tied to revenue? How do my campaigns work across all of my different channels? And so that was really the impetus for TrackMaven and really where it came out of was this itch I was having, you know, six years ago. Hmm. You know, this uh, podcast is all about customer focus and how in order to uh, achieve what you are looking for as an entrepreneur, you should focus on your customers and understand what they need and want. And I would like to ask you to share with us your best advice for entrepreneurs regarding customer focus or customer approach. What would be your best advice to entrepreneurs? I think the number one thing for any entrepreneur is to focus on um, problem solving, not problem finding, if that makes sense. So like the key thing I see that a lot of first time entrepreneurs do that's a mistake is they come up with some solution to some problem mm -hmm. and they, they sort of go, okay, I have this big idea. Now what's the product that I'm, what's the product market fit? And what is the real problem I'm solving? And they start with the solution and go backwards. And I think what you find is that second time entrepreneurs and a lot of the people I've met, you know, what they do really differently is they focus on a big problem right. and the solution comes later. They frame their entire enterprise around, okay, how do we solve this big, hairy problem? How do we really nail that? 
That's what they focus on doing. And so that I think is a very different set of skills, but one that's very important. That's right. So what would you advise them? Do you advise them to look for the problem first? Yes. Don't build some solution in a vacuum. It's never going to actually be good enough. <laughs> I know you've got successes and we'll get to it in a minute, but I would like to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most. Can you share that with us? We had a customer early on who was much, much, much bigger than any of our other customers. And I, won't, I can't say who they are, but they're a very large brand. You've heard of them. They're a household name. And they were a huge customer of ours mm. very early on, like represented, you know, probably 10% of revenue. And they were not a good fit for the software. You know, they, they, they didn't fit the use case. They didn't fit the ideal customer profile. They didn't fit any of these. But they really wanted the software. And they pushed us and they wanted it and we sold it to them. And, you know, a year later when it came for renewal, they canceled and it really hurt the business because it was this huge customer that, um, you know, obviously represented a huge cancellation, a huge revenue loss. And it was a really important lesson for me because it really sort of solidified this idea that I think takes people a long time and usually have to get punched in the face to do it. And that was true for me, which was, you know, there's this idea of good revenue and bad revenue. Not all revenue is good. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take on a customer who's unprofitable, who's not going to pay back, who is going to take an undue amount of attention relative to the rest of your customers or you know, isn't in your ideal customer profile, you are going to get hurt. And I think that idea of the distinction between good revenue and bad revenue, that was a really valuable lesson for me. And does it have anything to do with the size of the customer or it's not necessarily the issue of the size, the fact that they didn't actually fit? Oh, no, for this case, it was the size because they were the you know, we were typically selling to smaller companies. And so they were a massive company. So they were just outside of our normal wheelhouse. Um, and so we weren't built to service them. We didn't have all the proper implementation processes and all those things. I love the idea of good profit and bad profit or good revenue and bad revenue. I love that. And now I would like to ask you about the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about approaching your customers. So one thing we did a few years ago was we really said, okay, we did a, we did a cut where we took all of our customer data, you know, retention, win rate, customer satisfaction, and we spliced it all up by industry and size. We found there were certain industries where the customers were happier, they were healthier, they renewed more, they you know, bought more stuff, they had higher customer satisfaction. And so we decided that we'd focus on the bright spots and really double in on those. So I think we could have said, oh, you know, these ones that are really bad, let's focus on those, which I think is a common way to approach it. But I think by focusing on our bright spots, it actually was the better decision because we got really, really solid in those places where we were already pretty good. And then from a beachhead of greatness in those verticals, we were able to work outwards back to those other industries from a place of strength. So instead of being middling at everything, we were strong in some things and weak in others, and then eventually we became strong in some things and okay in others, and eventually strong in some things and strong in the other ones. So I think that idea of focusing in on our bright spots was a very good decision in retrospect. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, difficult to give up some part of that, isn't it? Totally. Hmm. Can you recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer focus marketing on sales? And I want to actually explain that because I'm not looking for the shiniest last tool in the endless list. I'm looking for what the successful entrepreneurs are really using. So what works for you? What is the tool that works for you in terms of 
customers, marketing, or sales? Well, I think the, the big one for us is um, we use Marketo really heavily to you know basically create different streams of content that we send to different people and also to you know automatically send notifications to people who might not be a good fit and you know really operationalizing that ideal customer profile in terms of how we execute in our business that is hugely important to the entire process because that what makes you efficient mm. um, you know, otherwise if we you know we're just you know sort of treating everyone the same way it'd be a very inefficient system and process so I think you know that operationalization of ideal customer profiles, that has been a really valuable tool. And we do that primarily through Marketo with some add-ons you know, bolted to it. Do you think Marketo can fit most of the entrepreneurs? Do you think a small company with one entrepreneur or two can work with Marketo as well? No, I think it's, it's really for companies that are sort of growing and scaling and you know, maybe let's say have over 15 or 20 employees. So I think if you're small in that, you can do some similar stuff in HubSpot. HubSpot works really well till you get into some complexity around you know, multiple products or multiple markets. But when you're early on and you're one product, one market, HubSpot's a really good fit. Hmm. Is there any person like service provider, mentor, consultant? It can also be a book, but I always prefer if there is a story about a person that had a major impact of your customer success and can help other entrepreneurs as well. I mean, I think Tony Shea's book, Delivering Happiness, even though it's obviously about retail and B2C, I think has a lot of really good nuggets for anyone to take out of for any business. You know, really at the end of the day, the book is about how do you surprise and delight your customers? And I think that's a very valuable thing. And I think for a lot of people, you know, when you think of business, you think about sort of being performant and, you know, achieving expectations. But I think Delivering happiness is a really good job of explaining the value of superseding expectations mm-hmm. and you know, surprising and delighting along the way. Because it not only is good business from the customer perspective in terms of making them happy, but it also makes them advocates. So it turns customers into advocates. And that's the most efficient marketing you can get is when someone's willing to you know, post about you on social media or you know, support you in those sort of ways. That's very valuable. Hmm. It's a great book. We'll put a link in our show notes. And... I want to ask you, did you have a point in your business? You are six years in the market already. Did you have a point that you felt that you stopped chasing after your customers and started to attract them instead? Um, that's a good question. Um, no, I think it's always been a blend. I think in our market, you know, there's a blend between evangelism and sort of inbound marketing. And you know, there's customers who come looking for us and there's customers who we go out and look for. Yeah, I think it's important to have both. I think if you're just relying on inbound marketing, the issue is it's hard to scale at the pace you want to scale at because you're relying on word of mouth building, which has a sort of more organic uh, tempo to it versus you know, if you do outbound marketing, it's a lot easier because um, you can set the scale and the pace. So if you want to scale 3x, you have some more control over those levers and ability to push them and lean in on them. Hmm. You know, there are many factors that actually affect our success but I believe that each one of us has his unique factor that affected most. And I want to ask you, what is your key success factor? What made it for you? I think, um, you know, I think we're still, we're still, you know, to be determined if we're a success. I mean, I think every day we're working towards building something great. And I think success has a very binary sort of sound to it. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think in terms of, you know, we've, we've grown and we've continued to exist as a business, which is um, not all businesses do that. So in terms of how have we been able to do that, 
Yeah, I think the key thing has been just a, a real focus on people and culture. That's one of those things that I think when you're first starting a company, you hear people give that advice and it seems very cliche hmm. um, and very trite. And it's like, okay, everyone focus on culture and people and blah, blah, blah. The issue is that that advice is actually really, really accurate. And it's not a soft, squishy thing. When you're actually in the trenches, there's actually a lot of logistical operations, right? You have to have a very thorough recruiting process, very thorough um, hiring process, a thorough performance review process, a thorough training process. You have to have a strong culture, which is the result of lots of micro actions over time. And so I think this thing, which seems like very easy sort of trite advice, which is, you know, focus on culture, focus on people, is actually incredibly difficult to do well. And so that is the area where I think you know, we've really focused on and we've definitely seen a lot of benefits as the business has developed from focusing on that. And that's the area that I'd point anyone when they're starting a company any size to really, really lean in on that. And you talked mainly about now when you answer this question, you talk about you as a company. Is that what actually um, unique in your own behavior? Is that your own factor, not as a company, but as a person? No, I think that's the result of that's being a company. I mean, I think you can't do stuff by yourself. I mean, you know, I think the second you've hired one other person, you have a culture, right? And it's about, is that culture moving the right direction? Is it growing? Is it scalable? And so I, I don't think that's the result of one person. I think it's the result of many people. So I want to ask you as an entrepreneur, what is your key success factor? Beside the fact that I think this is marvelous that, uh, You managed together in the company to have this focus on people, but what is you as a person? what is your key success factor? Yeah, I mean, I struggle to answer this question right because like to me it's I don't feel like a success yet, and so I don't know what <laughs> uh, if I ever will, and if I will, will I be self aware or reflective enough to drive? I think um you know some of the things that I do that seem to be useful are i Um, tend to be pretty curious. And so, you know, when I don't understand things, I'm very comfortable asking and saying that I don't understand and leaning in and learning. And I find that oftentimes those are the areas where there's most to learn and there's the most benefit to learning. And so I'd say that is probably something that sticks out as useful. Hmm. So curiosity and being useful? You know, curiosity is useful. Ah, you're talking about the curiosity and say this is useful for your business. Sure, I do agree. And my last question, before I'll ask you what is the best way to connect with you, my last question is my mountain question. And since I see this journey of taking the ownership in the mind of our customer, our consumers, and um, building our brand step after step, I always imagine it as like climbing a mountain. So I love to ask my guests whether they ever climbed a mountain, and I'm talking about a physical mountain, or wished to climb a mountain, or do you have any relationships with mountain in your life? <laughs> um, yeah, so I've never climbed a mountain. I definitely would be interested in doing it. It's one of those things where I like the idea that there's you know, incremental training steps that you have to do over time and slowly... you'll build up your ability and resistance to do it. Um, it's also something that is neat because you see a lot of people are able to get there and are able to accomplish that if that's one of their goals. And I think it's a good metaphor for a lot of things in life seem insurmountable, but with the right training and preparation, you can do it. Hmm. 
So do you have any specific mountain you, are, you can think of that you would wish to climb or no specific mountain? I, I, mean, I mean, I need to start small. So maybe I'll first start with a hill and then I'll check back in with you. <laughs> okay, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, so many people are talking about the Everest and, and you are taking a hill. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and um, I just want to ask you, Alan, What is the best way for any one of our listeners that would like to connect with you? How can they find you? Yeah, so the best way um, to check out the company is trackmaven.com. And then to learn more about uh, the book, go to thecreativecurve.com. And we will have both links on our show notes. Alan, I would like to thank you for this conversation. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so thank much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.